Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Once you're there, give me an amen. An amen. Amen. And um, as you guys see, I'm a little bit lighter in November. I've lost some weight on the face. Amen. And uh, um, it's not my twin brother or nothing like that. So my, my, my daughter, I had to convince her that it's still data. And uh, so finally she said, it's data. But, but uh, it feels good to be lighter in the face these years and cutting off the beard a little bit. But all you men with beards, keep growing it. <laughs> keep being manly. All right, here we go. Um, so, so 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you remember two weeks ago, we spoke about use your pain. And um, we continued on it. Does anyone remember uh, what, what, what was the, the main theme, what we spoke about uh, two weeks ago when we were talking about use your pain. It was the God of what? Remember? The God of all comforts. And we were talking about the God of all comfort. And we used the text and we kind of did an expository uh, style message where we used the text of Second Corinthians chapter 1 and we focused on God being the God of all comfort. And, and um, he was, let's just read that again. And I think it's just a powerful passage, and we'll see if we, we, it plays a role in this message today, but at least so you can know where we left off at two weeks ago. It says here, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Christ, the God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we, when, when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. Did you hear that? Even when we are weighed down with troubles, even when you're weighed down with pain, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you, and then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are, yeah, it's, it's rough. We are confident. Verse 7, we are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort of God. There's, a, there's an awesome passage there and also in Philippians where it talks about the sufferings of God and stuff like that. And you know that suffering, I'm not going to get into it because I kind of want to get into that maybe next week and, and somehow see if I integrate that with Thanksgiving. I'm not sure yet how God's going to do that. If not, I'll do it the week after. But, but the word sufferings and sharing in the sufferings of Christ, is a, I'll give you a little sneak peek. It's such a powerful word. Because in the Greek, the word that is used is actually a word that is the word passion. The, so, so it's powerful because when we talk about we want to sh- share in Christ's sufferings, it's a word that actually means I want to share in Christ's passions. So the passions of Christ is enduring the sufferings for mankind. And that's a very profound thing that we want because we think like, oh, we read it in the English language and we say we want to share in all sufferings. But what we don't recognize is Paul's wordage is actually a different word. And he calls that thing passion, the passions of Jesus. And the passions of Jesus actually equal sufferings. So how many of you are passionate for Christ? That could be translated to how many of you are suffering in Christ? You know what I'm saying? So now the wordage takes a different tone from when Paul wrote it to the people he wrote it to us in Western Christianity in 2019. And I just think the Bible is so awesome like that when you really study it like that. It's so unique. It's so different. It's so cool. It's so interesting. It makes you salivate. It's like butter on your lips, you know, when you eat a nice lobster or something like that. I haven't had one in a while, though, man. And the butter drips. I'm from Key West, so, so we know about that stuff. Hopefully you've had that kind of lobster, you know, the one that you broil in the oven for a little. All right, let's get back into the word here. Hallelujah. The God of all comfort. Say that. That's a beautiful thing. The God of all comforts. Because I know that in this room, um, there are moments where we need to be comforted. And yet we profess that he is the God of all comforts. Our God is the God of all comforts. And, and, and what, a, what a thing this is. 
If you remember, I ended with this point, and this is what I want to get into. Thank you for turning to uh, 2 Corinthians. But now, if you could turn to 2 Samuel. And that's where we're going to stay at today for the majority of our time here. We're just going to read through this and just see what God speaks to us. And I say what God speaks to us because today's going to be a little different. We're going to talk together, and you're going to be part of today's service. So... Make sure when you speak, you lift up your voice so everyone could hear you. All right. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're going we're gonna to jump on 2 Samuel chapter 9. A couple weeks ago, I said this. How many of you remember this? I said, God doesn't want to just use your pain, but he wants to also reward your pain. I said that because sometimes we look at pain, and we look at pain as something that is um, negative. We look at pain and we think like it's our end. We look at pain and say there's no hope. When in reality, biblically speaking, when God gives pain, all pain leads to hope. All pain leads to a reward. What happens is worldly pain, worldly suffering leads to no hope. But godly pain and godly suffering always leads to a reward and always leads to suffering. That is why like when people are in Christ and there's pain and there's suffering, continue to endure. Because if you're in Christ, it's going to lead into a hope. It's going to produce something good if it's in Christ. And that's, that's, that's very important. Now, as I say this, we have to also remember this. As you experience pain, you are not promised that pain is just momentarily. Your pain can be long-term. Actually, your pain can be until the day that you go reign with him. I, I want to make sure we understand this because sometimes we have this wrong theology that when you come to Jesus, you should be set free from all pain. And if you're not, then you have a demon inside of you. That is wrong theology, and we don't preach that in this church. Just because you have a long-term pain does not mean that you are demonically possessed. Actually, you might need that long-term pain so that you don't become demonically possessed. <laughs> All right. But that's the truth. Paul's like, I've asked three times. And three times the Lord says, I ain't taking it away from you. My grace is sufficient. What does that mean? Deal with it because it's going to be long-term. Now, now, that's, that, now, we have to understand that. In Christ. Now, there are people that are like, wow, but they got set free or they got delivered or what, the, the words that we use. Or they got healed. And I haven't yet. I'm like, just, you're going to see God face to face one day in glory. And you could ask him those questions. But I think that the revelation will already be given to you by the time you see him face to face. That you're not even going to have to ask because all answers before, before every, watch this guys. Before every question is given, before his presence, every question will already be answered. So right when you're about to give it, it's already coming into you being answered. You're like, all right, he's already downloaded all files into my hard drive. Isn't that fun? Such a cool conversation I have today. Pain. How many, seriously, honestly here, how many of you can relate to pain? All right, I would say almost the whole church that's here today. There's a lot of people not here today. They're going to get detentions. Don't worry about it. <laughs> the last two weeks we were slammed in here. Today, like, mm, it's cold. Let's just sleep in. I get it. I get it. Next week it gets warm and they come back and then we'll, 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 we'll biblically rebuke them or something like that. You guys are down with that? What should we do to them? Like, we'll, we'll make them stand up and they'll have to do a special. Whoever wasn't here last week, come up. We just want to honor you today. We just want to love you. And then, and, then, and then we just all come back here and like, what's up, suckers? What are you all doing? <laughs> all right. Love it. I think I told you to go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. So we could all relate to pain. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. So, um, some of your pain lasted for, for a moment, for, for years, for months, for days. Some of your pain. Some of you guys are still on a, on a, on a long-term basis. In a, hey, you're in a complicated relationship with your pain. You're in a long-term relationship with your pain. Huh? You're like, I wish I could just divorce this pain. And you're just like, you know, you, you, know, you can't. You're married to it. It's part of you and you're part of it. There's some families here and there's some people here that know exactly what I'm talking about. There's pain in our lives that we're married to. We're married to it. So being married to this pain, I could use it for the glory of God and for the ministry unto the Lord. Or being married to this pain, I could use it to cause me to get bitter and not fully glorify the Lord. I always tell people this when they go through a very painful moment in their lives. And there's some of you in here that could testify of this that I'm not lying. I could say right now you need to make a decision. You need to get up. Tighten your pants. Become a woman. Tighten your pants. Become a man right now. And you need to figure out 
whether you are going to grow bitter or if you are going to be, become better. But right now, you need to make a decision which path you're going to take, the bitter path or the better path. And if you take the better path, you're going to have people around you, but get ready. It's going to be difficult, but you're going to become better long term. How many of you understand that better path and the hardship on that better path? But it was well worth it? Or is it still being well worth it? Second Samuel chapter 9 is a very interesting story. I love this story, actually. I think I've preached it either once or twice in my life. For loving it so much, I should preach it more, but I love it. It's one of the first messages I've ever preached on a Sunday at our old church when I was a young youth pastor, like 21 years old. I remember preaching this story. And God brought it back to me a couple weeks ago. And I said this, God doesn't want to just use your pain, but I also believe that God wants to reward our pain. You know what? I think it's probably better if I just read it, and then we'll talk about it. Let's just read it. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. And um, I'm going to read from the New Living today. It says this. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's fa- David's king? Saul's no longer king. Um, Saul is dead. David already grieved uh, Saul's death. So amazing, David's heart. The man that wanted to kill him when he found out he was dead, and the man that killed Saul went, came to David to boast. Like, hey, David, you're going to love the news that I have. Obviously, I'm summarizing a little bit. He's like, what is it? He's like, Saul is dead. And how did he die? He couldn't take the pain no more. He was the point of death. And he asked me to take out my sword and kill him. So I did it. I did it, man. And David rips his shirt, throws ashes on himself. He starts to mourn for him. And he has that guy. (laughs) He has that guy executed. He says, how dare you kill the Lord's anointed? And he executes the guy that thought he was doing David a favor. Because, because though David was doing, because David was being harmed and David was being affected and David was being ill-treated by the king, he still recognized God is the one that put that king in his position and I have to honor him. David had a very distinct and unique heart. So David becomes king and, and if you remember, David becomes really good friends with King Saul's son called Jonathan. They're really good friends. They're really good friends. They train together. They're good friends. They, they grew up together. And they love each other so much, like brothers. They're, they're, they're very, very, very close. So David has a heart for Saul's family. I, I believe this, specifically because of Jonathan. And he has a heart for Saul because before Saul started to turn his back on him, Saul kind of raised him. He learned under Saul. He learned how to fight under Saul. He learned a lot of things from Saul. So, so uh, this must have been a very complicated uh, relationship between him and King Saul. So David now asked in verse 1, is there anyone in Saul's family that is still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? See, there's a relationship that he had with Saul's son. He summoned a man named Ziba, or Ziba, Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. And he says, are you Ziba, the king asked. And he says, yes, sir, I am. And the king asked him, is there anyone that is still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Most kings would say, if so, bring them so we could kill every single son left. Because lest they remember what, what's happened to their father, they come after me and try to take their throne. Most kings would kill every son or any descendant left of the um, prior king. He says this. <clears throat> If so, I want to show God's kindness to him. So Ziba replied, yes. And look who's one of the sons. One of Jonathan's sons is still alive. And he's crippled in both feet. I want everyone to understand this here. There was no reason to mention that. Isn't that odd? Did I ask you if he was? Like, what's your problem? Did I ask you if he had an issue? Why did that guy just say that? Oh, by the way, he's crippled on both feet. Okay. It says this. Where is he, the king asked, and Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Makir, son of Amiel. So David sent for him, and he brought him from Makir's home, and his name was Meph-Ivosheth. And he was Jonathan's son, and he was Saul's grandson. And when he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect, and David said, Greetings, Meph-Ivosheth. And Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. And David says, don't be afraid. I intend to show you kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. Look what he says here, guys. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you'll eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, 
Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Does that sound familiar? Who is the son of man that you are mindful of him? Who am I that you are mindful of me? Right? Very important. Then the king summoned Saul's servants and said to Ziba, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and to his family. You and your sons and servants are to now farm the land for him. To produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, look what he says, will eat here at my table. So Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Do the math. 35 people are now what? Under who? Under who? Under who? I'm going to call him Mephi because I love that nickname, Mephi. Mephibosheth's name is now Meph. They're under Mephi's leadership. They're under Mephi's rule. They're, un, they're, they're under his command now. 35 men work for him and work the fields for him. Ring, ding, ding. I wish I had a bell. I'll talk about use your pain and I'll be ringing the bell as we talk about use your pain. Ziba replied, yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant and I will do what that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephizosheth ate regularly. I want you to highlight that, underline that. He ate when? How often do you eat at the king's table? How often do you eat at the king's table? Some people are like once a week if service is good. That, how, he ate regularly at the king's table. It wasn't like, ah, I do it like on Easter. He eats regularly at the king's table, okay? And it says here, you guys already see kind of where I went there and where I'm going with this. <clears throat> like one of the king's, oh, this is a very important part. Highlight this part too. Like one of the king's what? Own sons. From then on, all the members of the household of Ziba were, <laughs> all, the, all the members of Ziba's house are now Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. All right, so much I want to say. Powerful passage. Powerful passage. Why is it a powerful passage? I believe this, right? King David says, is there anyone left from, from Jonathan's household? And the servant says, yeah, there's like a grandson, Jonathan's son. He's like, bring him. Now, this is crazy. Why? How do you not know that there's still someone left from King Saul's descendants? I believe that because of the condition of Meph, Mephi, because of Mephi's condition, he, he learned how to grow up with shame. And they were ashamed that this man comes from royalty. And I believe that most of Mephizosheth's life, they kept him hidden. Not even for the reason that they don't kill one of Jonathan's kids. For the same reason that we don't want to present one of his lineage like this. And they, they, they almost looked at his crippledness as if, as if that should be associated with shame. How, how do I, how, why would you say that? Because why else would they continue to mention it in the scripture? Why else would they do that? And I feel like what's happening here is we're going to see a part of God's heart. I believe that this story is more about the kingdom of heaven than it is about Mephi and King David. I think this is the heart of God. Because what God really desires is the crippledness of man. So that what? That in the crippledness of man, they could start learning how to become sons and begin to eat at the king's table. That that what has been ashamed and that what has been pushed away for so long can now enter into a place from that which they were restricted once to enter. That their actual condition is an invitation to eat at the king's table than it is for them to what? To be rejected from the king's table. So I believe that, that Mephibosheth actually lived in a place of pain for a very long time, for a, for a, very, amount of, for a very long amount of years. That just made any sense? And, and here he was, and he identified with his pain, and he carried this pain for years. Most of you raised your hand and said, I do. I, too, can relate to pain in my life. I carry pain. And some very important things <clears throat> happen. He shows up to King David, and in verse 7, David, who is king now, says to this man, don't be afraid. I'm going to give you all the property, and you're going to eat with me at my table. What is David doing to him? Well, 
That's verse 7. If you, if you go to verse 7, I want you now to go all the way down to verse 11 and where we just read. And it says this. Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of, his, one of the own king's sons, the king's own son. Verse 7 and 11 are related. And what is happening here with David is he's bringing Mephi into a place now where he's what? Where, what's up with Mephi? Guess what? His dad's dead and his what? His grandfather's dead. And guess what? All he has is his grandfather's and his dad's servants that live with him that don't even respect him because of his pain, because of his crippledness. And he's put in a hidden place and he's put to shame and he has nothing to testify of himself. And then David comes to the realization, wait, there's still someone from Jonathan's lineage. He brings them to him. And now what is he doing? He's branding him. He's putting them into a place now where he says, I don't know where you've been and I don't know what you relate yourself to. And I don't see, you know, what, 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 what category you place yourself in. But from this point on now, my main responsibility and relationship with you is for that you could know and recognize what sonship is. He brings an outsider to come in like a son. Does that sound like the gospel? He, Christ brings outsiders. He says, awesome, the Jews want to turn their back. Watch how I do this now. The Jews turning their back is going to cause me now to bring outsiders in. And they're going to graft them in, like the book of Romans says, into the same tree. And we're going to bring all these Gentiles in. And now they're going to become adopted sons. And these Gentiles are going to eat at my table. It was a table that was set for the Jews. But the Gentiles will now sit on it and eat in the king's table. And here's a man that was put to shame that all that he recognized as royalty and king was destroyed and he because of his state would never be put in that position and now there's a king that shows grace and brings him in and says I see your pain you've suffered long enough your pain now comes with a reward and he sits them there and he says now you're one of my sons you mean you're not going to kill me you mean you're not going to kill one of Saul's grandsons because I could easily, when you're sleeping, King David, roll to your room and put a dagger in your neck and kill you. And I am the next in line because I am the grandson of Saul. But I believe that the heart of Jonathan was transformed at the king's table because he saw the king's heart. He, he received sonship. Verse 7 and 11 are so important. Verse 8, it says, he bows. When, when he tells him, from here on out, you're going to eat at the king's table. Verse 8, look at, look at his response. Immediately, he bows respectfully. That word there, according to what translation you have, it's, a, it's, a, it's an action of reverence. It's an act of reverence. He's bowing with reverence. <clears throat> and what does he do? He begins to cry out. Who is your servant that you should so show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Guys, seriously, this is Mephibosheth. His bloodline is royalty. He is grandson of the first king of Israel. He is son of the king of Saul. And yet, he describes himself to King David as, why are you thinking about a man like me who is considered a dead dog? What, what, is, what does that tell you about Mephibosheth? He related to one thing and one thing only. Why would you bring a shameful man into your house? Why would you bring a shameful man into your, uh, to sit at your table? He goes on and he described, you know, maybe if you understood this culture, you understand why he called himself a dead dog. Some of you guys are dog lovers, so you wouldn't understand this in his proper writing. Because if you learn scripture, you'll know that dogs return to their own vomit. If you learn scripture, you'll recognize that dogs are actually biblically not necessarily seen as the most positive animals. Forgive me, you, you back that up with the Bible. But, but what I'm trying to say is this was, this was a, a, a term that, 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 that the person of that time recognized what, what a dog was. And for him to say, a dead dog like me, why would you consider someone like me? What, what's, what he's doing here, what Mephibosheth is doing right now, it's he is exposing himself to the place of shame. He's like, I'm just a shameful man. I am no one that should be eating at the king's table. There is no way I should be doing this. And then we see something in verse 10, right after the, all these conversations happen. 
in verse 10, he says this. Now you and your sons and your servants to Ziba, he tells them, are to farm the land for him. And you could just picture this for a moment. They're, maybe they're sitting down. Maybe David's on a throne or, and he's being brought to him and the servant uh, Ziba's there and John, uh, Mephibosheth is here and some of David's men. I don't know. You could just picture the whole scene. And he's telling him, from now on, your sons. He's like, yeah, I got like 15 of them. Good for you. Thank God you have a lot of sons. Because from now on, all your servants and all your sons are going to work for him. And can you imagine being before royalty and just receiving all this information? And, and not only will they farm the land for him, they're going to produce food now for now he's your master now. For your master's household. And now your master who will be Mephibosheth, will eat here at my table. I look at verse 10, and if you want to write this down, uh, verse 7 and 11, I see sonship being introduced to a man who had no father, to a man who had no relationship, to a man who was lost. I see sonship being established. In verse 8, I see an explosion of of shame, and I see how right now, in, in verse 8, how he's exposing his shame. Now in verse 10, what am I seeing if you're taking notes? I'm seeing what? I'm seeing the king release favor, and I'm seeing the king beginning to establish him, and I'm seeing him now beginning to cover that which always shamed him. He's, he's, there's sonship, there's shame, but now in verse 10, there's favor, and there's an establishment. Mephibosheth. Everyone say that word. Good, so that I'm not the only one struggling out here. Struggle with me. Meph. Ivosheth. Let's put it up on the screen for a moment. I asked them to do this. Mephivosheth. I know you want to say B, but there is no B in the proper language. It's more meth, ev, vosheth, or something like that, but it's all right. Mephi is good, right? When you break down his name in the Hebrew, it becomes a very powerful name. And it preaches a whole new message to us. You, you just heard the story of Mephi. We don't know much of his childhood. He, pro- he grew up in, in royalty. I'm sure he was hidden, but I'm sure he still ate good. I'm sure he was hidden. But I'm sure all that since childhood, since childhood he grew up and recognized no one's ever regarded any worth in me. No one's ever seen me as any worth. Because of my pain. Have you ever had a pain in your life that it's actually, what it's done is, it's starting to, it started to steal your worth rather than to establish worth? Huh? Have you ever had any pain in your life that what it's done is, it's continued to cause you to hide and de-establish you rather than present you and establish you? It all depends in how you suffer in pain. It all depends in the presence in how you do pain in and who you do pain with. So here is Mephibosheth, and his name alone preaches a whole, like, you don't even need uh, chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. All you got to do is, today I'm going to preach on a name, and the name is Mephibosheth. That's how powerful the Word of God is. And, And maybe some of you here... Have you ever heard someone's name? Um, let, me, let me explain to you this way. Um, I'm going to do something pretty crazy here. Where, however you stand in this. Like, for example, when I say Kanye West, what do you think? Okay, thank you. When I say in the old, if I was living in the New Testament times and I would say Saul, I wonder what people would think. There was a time when they're like, hey, Saul's going to come and visit us. And they're like, no, 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 don't bring him here. What happens if it's farce and he's just pretending he's going to come and kill us all? At the beginning, the church in Jerusalem and, and the apostles, the, 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 the board of leadership that the, of the church, they were like, don't bring him here. It could be all a lie. And um, the transformation that he says he really had could actually be used to do harm and evil to actually come and destroy us. You guys see what I'm talking about, right? How many of you I could mention a name and immediately you have thoughts about that person? Immediately, you have just a thought about that person. Just think about that for a moment. I, I don't want to say throw me a name because if you name someone from here, that would be so crazy and so, like, I wouldn't know, we wouldn't know where to hide. You're like, why'd you do that? You didn't, you didn't execute wisdom there. 
But think about someone. Think about someone for a moment. Think about this for a second. When someone hears your name, does it, oh, does it repel them or does it be like, oh, he's coming? <sighs> Every time he's around, he's like water to my soul. Or, oh, he's coming. Every time he's around, he's like vinegar. What, what? Have you ever thought about what people think about you when your name is mentioned? I know, I know. You're that kind of person. I don't care what people think about me. You should. <laughs> that whole, uh, you know what, I don't care what people think about me. That's, the, that's like... There's truth to that, and there's so complete lies to that. Actually, if there's anything that you should worry about is what people think about you. Why? Because those are witnesses to your testimony. So you should care what people think about you. If you ask 10 people and 9 people speak negative about you, don't say, I don't care what they think about me. No, you have to look at the mirror and say, 9 out of 10 are saying something. I probably have to check something out in my life. If you go 10 for 10, you know you're off. You're off the bat. You're off the chain. You just... But seriously... When your name is mentioned, are you, a cold of, uh, are you a glass of cold water on a hot day? Or when your name is mentioned, are you a bitter drink? Are you a bitter drink on a, on a day when, of thirst? Just think about that for a moment. Mephi's name is very powerful. When you break it down, uh, it's so powerful. I think I gave you the breakdown of his name. The first, okay, Put, put it in the Hebrew way. Put it the Hebrew. All right, you can leave it like that. It gives it all away, but it's okay. On the top part, you have his name. On the right side, you have it written down in its proper, in its proper language. I have no idea how to read that, but I know how to translate it. It's up there for us. But in his name, if you see it there on the top left-hand corner, it's broken up into two different names. You have the P-I-Y part, which is a specific sound. And that part of his name means to scatter and to break into pieces. The second part of his name, the B-S-E-T, which is a way of pronouncing it as well, that means shame or a shameful thing. I believe that when he was born, right away, instantly, his parents named him and his parents put a title over him of, look at this. He was born to us and he was born to us as the shame of the family. So what are we going to call him? His bones are broken into pieces. So his name is Bone, who's broken into pieces, and his name is Shame. How many of you, God has to, well, see, what the world meant to name you and what the world meant to describe you, now the Lord is going to use that same name and he's going to give it a whole new definition. He's going to say, no, what happens is they looked at it from the wrong perspective. You see, you were broken into pieces not because you're necessarily a shameful thing. You were broken into pieces because you're going to put things to shame. It's not that you're broken into pieces because you're shameful. It's you're broken into pieces because God's going to give you now the ability to put things to shame. That that what's always looked down upon you and you're broken into pieces will have to begin to look up to you. My God, my, why is that? Because in that place of pain, God says, if you serve me faithfully with it, watch how I reward you for my goodness. But the world's always seen me as broken pieces, shameful, and God says, yeah. But they read the definition wrong. It's broken pieces to put to shame, not broken pieces because you are shame. Mephi's name is powerful. His name in itself uh, would be a prophetic name in which he would walk into. His name was a prophetic name. Moses, for example, when, when, when they took Moses from the water, guys, come on, let's think about this for a moment. They took him out and they said, what do we call this baby? What should we name him? And he's like, I know what. We drew him out of water. Let's name him what? Draw him out of water. Moses is his name, a.k.a. drawn out of water. That's his name. What's your name? Drawn out of water. Why would they name you that? Because I was actually drawn out of water. But no, it wasn't because that's what you're identified with. It's because when you come now to the place of your pain and you put it in the hands of God, it's not about what the world once saw you in. You're not Moses who was once drawn out of water. You're actually Moses, the one who will draw many out of water still. 
You're not broken pieces who was put to shame. You're broken pieces who were put to shame. Do you guys see how God works? Man. So the marriage that sucks today is the marriage that heals tomorrow. The child that's rebellious today is the child that will become faithful tomorrow. The one who is bitter today in Christ, that pain should become the one that is joyful tomorrow. What I mean is there's a pain in your life, but if you know how to handle it in the presence of God and you allow God's hand to use you, you'll see that he doesn't want that pain to destroy you. He wants to use that pain to reward you. That's the heart of God. Now, now don't, amen, now don't, um, don't twist my words and say God rewarding me means that he's going to set me free from the pain. No, God rewarding you might be that he's going to open doors because of your pain. You might have a platform that you would have never had, but because of that pain, you have a platform that I could never have and that she can never have and that he can never have. Why do you have that platform? Because I have a pain to wave around. And you don't have the pain that I have. And because you don't have the pain that I have, I have an anointing and a power and a weight because of my pain that I've endured my whole life. So when I speak, people listen because it's not just from a place of knowledge, but it's a place that I've experienced and I encountered and my pain has now become my reward. So pain becomes reward in Christ. Pain becomes reward in his presence. That which was considered scattered and broken and shameful is still, is still now broken, but now put into shame. He says, don't change the broken part because I'll heal to continue to break you. And in your brokenness, you put things to shame. His name would be a prophetic name. He would walk into and identify himself with. I think... Mephi identified with his name his whole life. Please listen to me. But I believe he identified with his whole life. With the eyes and with the view of this world. And when he came to the place, when he comes to the place finally of sonship, only in sonship, listen, only in sonship will you start to recognize that which has been given to me actually had a whole purpose than what I would ever thought. And I never knew it until finally I started to function under sonship. Some things can't happen in your life yet, in your pain yet, because you haven't learned the honor of what it is to sit at the table as his son and as his daughter. So the pain is still used as a curse in your life because you haven't learned how to sit down and become son so that the pain can now become a reward in your life. Say what you want, but deal with it with yourself. Don't come to me and complain. It's your pain. But in whose table are you taking it to? And at that table are you saying, in sonship, my pain is worth it. Outside of sonship, my pain is truly horrific. It's painful. But in sonship, it's for the glory of the Father. He only identified with his name, but from the wrong perspective, with the wrong lens. You got to see it properly. It's your, 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 I'm going to say something very bold right now. You're more complete than incomplete in your life. All you're missing is, is learning how to sit at the king's table. And all that stuff that you define as incomplete, you'll start to recognize how it starts to become complete. We start, we walk around like we're so incomplete, while yet saying we sit at the one who makes us complete at his table. Does that make sense? All some of us might be missing is completeness is found just being here with him and I'm his son. One moment with the king. Say that for a moment. One moment with the king. Yeah, just one moment brings out your fullness. And then it doesn't become one moment. It becomes what happened. Mephi didn't just have one moment with the king. It says what? Regularly. It says that Daniel would go pray 
It says that Matthew would go eat regularly. It said Jesus would go pray regularly. This is a place of what now? Relationship. I have a, oh, I saw, hey, I heard what David did for you. No, no, this is not just about what David did for me. David's like, dad, now I have a relationship with him. What do you mean? Yeah, I eat regularly. So not just a moment with the king, but now those moments become, that moment becomes moments and regular, regularness. It's a word that we use here, familiarity. We become familiar now with the king. So now what? David's jokes, have you ever hung out with someone and you're like, wow, I love this person's jokes. And what happens is that person's jokes becomes your jokes. You tell it to people that don't hang out with them, but you know what? It's new jokes in your arsenal because you hung around with that person who's an amazing jokester. You know, you, you hang around with that person that has just this inside of the word of God and you're like, that's good. So what you do is now you get with another group and then you spill it and you pretend like it's yours. It's good. Use it. I mean, it's fine. It's not his either. It's God's. But, but you do that. You all do that. Don't say, oh, no, I always quote him. No, you don't. There are times you do. There are times you do. But, you know, you learn something over here and then you're like, he's not coming with me. So watch this. I, 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 got, I was reading the word and this is what God showed me. Yes, you do them on the hey, Praise God, he's, he's a minute. We've all been there, right? We, we get the joke. We get the gist of it. We get the joke. But listen to this now. Listen to this now. Here is the man now that what he's doing is he's, he's operating from a place of, of now. I know him. I know his words. I know his thoughts. I, I see how he treats his other children. I eat with him. I drink with him. I'm at his table. And I become full now. And he completes me now. And He's brought me in a son, and he's comforted me, and he's taken what I felt was broken, and he's put me together, and he's put what was shameful, and he's given me reason again and purpose again. And you don't no longer see yourself as a shameful thing, but you see yourself as one who puts things to shame now. And he, you're redeemed now, and you're established, and you found favor in. Mephi's life is found favor in when he once said, I'm a dead dog. I'm a de-. Not even is he a, a dog. He's a dead dog. Dead dogs get worms that eat them up, and dead dogs smell, and dead dogs are just this blood carcasses on the side of the road and, and who wants to touch a dead dog and he considers himself as just a dead dog and now this dead dog is eating at a king's table and he doesn't consider himself a dead dog no more because what dead dog has 35 servants now farming the land and producing the fruit of the land and saying here you go dead dog this is just for you like he's no longer a dead dog he's now pretty much a son of David and, and God doesn't want to just use Mephi's pain what God is doing with Mephi's pain is look, look Mephi I've seen you long enough I've heard you cry long enough I've seen how you've given me this pain finally you finally surrendered it to me and you've opened up and you've exposed your shame so now because I have you at the humble place where I want you watch how I begin to reward your pain and it's now used to re-identify you to bring a greater work in you and that pain is not caused to identify you to your shame but now it's to identify you as his son and which he takes you from the place of hiding to the place of sonship where you eat at his table. How many of you could say amen? amen. This whole scripture, I'm going to put it on the screen and I'm going to wrap this up. This whole scripture right here, actually, you know what? I'm going to show you a video. This whole scripture right here sounds totally different to my soul today. Look at this scripture. You all know it probably by heart. Your children probably know it by heart. If you have a child that comes to our nest kids. Psalm 23, my brother. <clears throat> the Lord is my shepherd, right? You know it, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Think about how different this sounds today. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah. Everyone say yeah. yeah. No, but like you mean it. Yeah. 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 Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare. Does this sound like Mephi? You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Regularly, I will come to the house of the Lord. Regularly. I, I feel like Psalm 23 could have been written by Mephi. He lived Psalm 23. He is Psalm 23. And when you operate in that pain and you begin to be transformed, you become Psalm 23. Psalm 23 was not just the shepherd David. Psalm 23 is your very own life still today. Amen. Amen. All right. Revelation chapter 21, just to give you some hope. Everyone say the end. Yeah, yeah let's go to the end for a moment. And I'm going to show you guys a video in like two minutes. 
In Revelation chapter 21, church is always fun when you get to show a video. All right, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. Are everyone there? All right, let's just have fun for this. You've heard this here in this church um, how many times? Too many times, but it's all good. Why? Because it's one of my favorite passages. Why? Because it's talking about home. Which home specifically? The new Jerusalem. Which one day I'm going to kick it in and I'm going to live in. And hopefully some of us, right? All of us together, hopefully. All of us together, we're going to be kicking it and living and living a dream in the new Jerusalem. So let's read it for a moment. He says, ready? The apostle John taking up to a vision. He says, now I saw, verse 1, a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Gone forevermore. This planet earth and everything in it and the heavens of it are gone and the sea was also gone. No longer need for sea. And I saw the holy city. I saw what? The new Jerusalem. And it was coming down from God out of heaven. And it was like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home. Everyone say dwelling place. In my, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. God's home God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. And all these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am writing everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he said this, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. There will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. There will be no more crying. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, if you're taking notes, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, verses 20, and verse 21. You know what he says? Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But you store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal for where your treasure is there your heart will also be man in my pain I also know that I'm going to live with a reward I'm going to live with rewards and with rewards to come it's, it's, it's for a purpose and it's for a reason and my heart cannot be in the anguish of my pain the heart needs to be found in the joy of the Lord in my pain for where my heart is there my treasure will also be he rewards your pain so what, do I, what can I say so then use your pain how do I use it use it let him reward it use it God is a God that rewards absolutely he is it tells us in scripture that crowns will be given to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says you will be given an incorruptible crown, which is faithfulness and self-control. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 1, it says you will be given the crown of rejoicing, which is faithfulness and service. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 and 8, it says you'll be given the crown of righteousness, which is faithfulness in your testimony. In 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 2 through 4, it says you'll be given the crown of glory, which is faithfulness in tending those and that which has been entrusted to you. And in James chapter 1 and in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that you'll be given the crown of life, which is the faithfulness in all the temptations and trials you enter. We're going to be given crowns one day. We're going to be given rewards one day because of the stuff that we do on earth. The Bible says it. It's in eternity, it echoes the things from earth. Right now, what we do here, it's be... There are songs being written in heaven, singing the songs and saying the words that are happening with our lives on earth. It's being echoed in eternity. That's crazy. Can you imagine being in the glory of God? The, 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 the angels with their six wings and the eyes and the fires and the, and the songs that are being sung is, in Miami, Florida, there's a, like they're singing, they're echoing the songs of the saints that are living on earth. My God. All right. I'll tell you what. You guys want to watch a cool video? I'm going to show you guys a video, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to just end the message with the same questions that he ends with. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll mention something else, but, but no more scripture. I think the word of God is spoken. 
This is a man, I forgot his last name, Cliff, but, but I want you to hear his story. It came out on ESPN. My name is Cliff DeVries. I'm a diving coach at RIT. You might see me walking down the road and think, wow, he's got it rough, but there's more. Which is a little bit beyond what you think right now. I can't remember a time when I didn't love diving. I was the New York State Empire State Games champion in high school, and I was selected as one of the All-Americans for my junior and senior year. That led to a scholarship at the University of Kentucky. I had that Olympic dream, and with my increase in skills and the rate at which I was improving, I thought I had a chance. I was trying to do more complicated, more difficult dives, and they just weren't coming. I started to lose movement in my shoulder. My shoulder was becoming noticeably more and more weak. Yeah, I, I was struggling. It got worse and worse. So I went in and I got an MRI. I found out a day later that I had a six inch tumor in my spinal column that was pressing up against my spinal cord and causing me to lose the function of my shoulder and my arm. I went in for surgery the first weekend of March of 1995 and I was 21 at the time. It was a 13-hour surgery. There were some complications during the surgery. All the system equipment went down and they didn't have any life signs on me. I think that my life was teetering. I had severe, severe trauma to my spinal cord. Severe scarring. So they were basically planning for me to um, be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. I think at that point, I was tired of hearing that I wasn't going to be able to do this, I wasn't going to be able to do that, and I said, I'm tired of hearing this stuff. I, I'm going to walk again. I'm going to make it happen. Not only am I going to walk again, but I'm going to make something of my life. Right after my surgery, I went back to my high school to watch some diving. And then I, I found out that they didn't have a coach. And they said, hey, why don't you start coaching and we'll give you the job. And then they had an opening here. And I decided to apply. They took a chance on a guy who couldn't walk very well to come in and, and lead the diving program here at RIT. Ren Ren, that's a beautiful dive, but you've got a beautiful pike that I'm not seeing on there, so close that pike up. Daily, it's pulling off too fast, slow down. I would always love to be back on the boards, and whenever the coaches jump up on the boards, I always feel a little bit sad. If you want it, you want to be back diving, you want to feel what it's like to be bouncing, to be, to be flying, and then to go, go through that water. I always like pushing myself, seeing what the next thing that I could do is. And I thought, you know what? I could do a dive. And I'm like, I'm gonna try a dive. And uh, my birthday's coming up, so I'm gonna do a dive on my birthday.
there's always more to you. There's always more to what you can do. You might see me walking down the road and think, wow, he's got it rough, but there's more. When you look beyond what's on the surface, there's always more. You're not going to find a lot of beauty in what I do, but it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of emotion. That's all balled up into a little half second fall into the water. my dive what else can you do what what can you find in yourself what can you find in others when you look in the mirror what else is there what else do you have what more can you bring out which is a little bit beyond what you think right now You know, he said something. He says, uh, "There's, there's more than what it looks. It looks like physically. What's from the outside? It's there's more inside. There's more that that goes to it." And he said this. I, I wrote this down. He says, "When you see my dive, he says, what else can you do? What can you find in yourself? What can you find in others? What can you look into the mirror? What else is there? When you look into the mirror, what else do you have? What more can you bring out?" which is a little beyond what you think right now. I looked at that man and I said, here's a great example of an individual who has recognized that they could take their pain and allow it to cripple them for the rest of their lives, or they could take their pain and they could begin to learn how to use it for something good, something better. And I think in this, in this room, we all have pains as you raise your hand that you can relate to, and we have to ask ourselves, what can I do with this pain? What else can I do? What can I do? What do I have? What can I, how can I use it for others? And um, I, I want you to think about that as we close off. And I want you just to um, put your mind in that. I, I wrote some names down, but really I had to stop because I, I, I started with the famous ones. But then your mind goes off because there's little key figures in the Bible or key characters in the Bible. They're not as famous like as Moses and Joseph and David and Paul and Jesus, obviously. But then you could grab like other little names or some people that you don't even know their names. And you could say things like, what did their pain produce? Like, you know, I, I mentioned those, what is it, four or five names right now. So I wrote the, that down, right? Like, what does, what does pain produce in Moses? Think about that. Have you ever thought about that? What does pain produce in Joseph? What does pain produce in David? What does pain produce in Paul? What does it produce in Job? What does it, we could talk about all these big names. We could talk about what does pain produce in the woman at the well. We could talk about what does pain produce to the man that used to cut himself and throw himself in the fire in the New Testament. We could talk about a lot of other individuals, even in the Old Testament. What does pain produce in Jesus? Every person in the Bible had moments of pain, some momentarily, some long-term. But think about what that pain produced and continued to produce in some of these individuals' lives. Some of your pain, it's because, it could be because of sin. But for the ones that are not, it's because God might be giving it to you for a greater purpose and for his glory. So from the ones that don't need to get delivered from it or the ones that don't need to, and like, well, I've, I don't know what else it could be. Then maybe it's, wait a minute, maybe God is calling you to something unique, to use your pain. To use your pain so that then you could start to experience the reward that is found in using your pain. Your pain could be someone else's salvation. 
Your pain could be someone else being set free from addictions. Your pain could be someone else's healed marriage. Your pain, think about the reward of what your pain can be. That right now you don't see it because you haven't aligned your pain before the presence of the right king. You're not regularly at that place. But once you get there, your pain could be your reward. Your pain can be your reward. How many of you can say amen? Right there where you're sitting as we close off, you raised your hand already that you could um, relate to pain. This man, Cliff, right here, you see how he grabbed his pain and now he's teaching from the place of pain. He's teaching from that place. He could have easily said, I could never do that. And maybe you're saying, I could never do that. But that you could teach, that you could encourage, you could mentor, you could lead from the place of your pain. This man walks with a unique walk. That everywhere he goes, he looks different. People stare at him and people ask him, what happened to you? And he has to say that story over and over again. And maybe it's the same thing with you. You have to say that story over and over again. But man, that story over and over again, that walk that everyone sees, man, it could be a great reward for the kingdom of God and for your life, amen? So right now, if you have a pain and you know that God is calling you to use it, and he's calling it to be rewarded, to experience the reward from that pain, right there where you're at, I want you to open up your heart. I would tell you, you know, raise your hand and with me, but I don't think there's a need for that. I want to just pray with you right now. As if we were holding hands right now. As if we were hugging each other right now. And I want you just to take that pain, or for some of you, like it's not just a pain, Pastor, it's, it's multiple, it's pains. Take those pains, and right now, I want you to, as we close off in prayer, I want you to make that decision. Lord, I'm going to take this pain. Like Mephi, Lord God, here I am, broken in pieces. I'm going to bring my broken pieces that always brought shame, and I'm going to bring my broken pieces so that now in your presence I could, I could begin to put to shame. So, Lord, here I am before your table. Begin to pray over that pain and over those pains in your life. Lord, here we are before your presence and before that table. Lord, help us and teach us and drive us, Lord God, to eat regularly at the king's table, to come regularly here, that we're no longer dead dogs, but that we would come regularly to the table and identify ourselves as your sons and daughters. And at that place, the broken pieces are put together, and now the shame is no longer shameful, but now it's used to put to shame the things, Lord, that are against you, that are against the purposes of our Father, I pray that you would strengthen every single one of us in our pain. I pray, Lord God, the same words that you told Paul, that you would tell them, that you would tell us, that you would tell me, that your grace is sufficient for us. That, Lord God, we plead for this pain to go away, or we plead for this pain to be changed. And your answer is, for your grace is sufficient, and in our weakness you are strong. I pray for a reward of strength. I pray, Lord God, for a reward of testimony, a reward of salvation. A reward, Lord God, that many would come to your feet because of the pain that is harbored, a pain that is held deep inside. That that pain would not be one, Lord, that continues to be in a hidden place, but that pain would be one that brings forth uh, uh, truth and it's exposed so that people could know what it is to be son and daughter. I pray, Lord God, that you would deliver us from hiding, deliver us from fear, Deliver us, Lord God, from, from being scared, Lord God. Deliver us and give us, a, give us the spirit, Lord God. Give us a sound mind of power, Lord God. Lord God, give us, Lord, just the, the ability to use the pain for your great honor, for your great glory, Lord. I pray that, Lord, there would not be one individual here present or listening on the podcast or whatnot, Lord God, that would discontinue from using their pain but that they would use it to honor and glorify and that they would see the rewards that are at hand and that, Lord God, it would bring greater joy and greater strength and greater glory and that they would never depart from that truth, Lord God. Lord, I thank you, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, because in this room, many raised their hand and many could relate. That means, Lord, we have people around us, people we could lean on and people we could cry to and people we could talk to. 
But Lord, we also know that there's also a table that is set before us. And though, yeah, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I have the ability to fear nothing, no evil. <coughs> so Lord, give us the strength. Give us the ability. Comfort us. We learned a couple weeks ago that you are the God of our comfort. And you are also the great rewarder, rewarder of our pain. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you and we give you our hearts. We give you our lives. We give you our pain for your great purpose, for your great reasoning. We give it all to you for your honor. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Strengthen every single person, their families, their marriages, their children, their own personal lives. When they look at themselves in the mirror, Lord God, show them their beauty, Lord God. Show them their worth, Lord God. Give them hope, Lord God. Let them breathe light again, Lord God. Let them, let them recognize, Lord, that, that there's, Lord, comfort and love, Lord, that there's something that is being poured out from your presence, Lord, to them. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you for allowing us to identify as sons to the Father. Thank you, Lord, that you could put a new name to us. Thank you, Lord God, that you could give a new meaning to our name, that when my name is mentioned in the room, it's no longer bitter, but that when my name is mentioned in the room, it's a cold glass of water on a hot day. Hallelujah, Lord. Give us meaning again. Lord God, give us weight again. Lord God, give us the strength again. We love you. We thank you. And Lord, give us the ability to use our pain. It's in the mighty, it's in the holy name of Jesus Christ. And together we say, amen. Come on, let's give God some praise. It's worthy.